What's going on, everybody? You're back with the Real Bodybuilding Podcast. This is episode 23, and I have a special guest, Mike Dolce, the weight management specialist, trainer of many UFC fighters, and entrepreneur. Is that what we can call you? We can, yeah, that, that all fits. <laughs> that all fits. All right. So the reason I have Mike on is a few, a few different reasons. One, um, I like to have people on from different genres to get ideas about their thinking when it comes to diet and nutrition but also because Mike made a short video about me um, last week. Yeah. Yes. Last week ish uh, about my four, four pound burger challenge and how it, it could affect your health. So I'm going to debate Mike <laughs> right on. On, on the, on the uh, reason why it's not that big a deal, but I'll let him start. So why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself before we get into it? Well, I appreciate you having me on, and I am a, a fan of the show, fan of the channel, obviously. That's how you're on, on my radar, so I do appreciate a lot of what you do, and I respect what you do and, and the bodybuilding world, to which I peripherally work around the bodybuilding world. I came up with bodybuilders, guys like Rich Gaspari and Matt Duvall, training with them as, as kind of one of the junior training partners in that crew of, of, of beasts. Um, It was not for me, just genetically. I remember in 93, I saw a photo of Flex Wheeler and I was like, yep, I'm going to keep wrestling. I was a wrestler, right? Everybody, I feel that way too though. So it's all right. (laughs) Okay, fair enough. enough. So I decided, fuck it. I'll just stick on the wrestling mat and let these dudes kick my ass instead of get fucking blown off the stage by a guy like Flex. But anyway, deep respect for us. I want to say that out of the gate. But being a a lifelong wrestler, I started wrestling when I was 13 years old, four-year varsity wrestler in high school, went on to the collegiate level combat sports that was always my thing but you understand in wrestling it's weight cutting constant weight cut i mean we're walking around in season at at, you know sub eight percent body fat seven six five as the season goes on you know better than anybody how that fucking wears on you plus the weight cuts i mean we're making 20 pound weight cuts two three times a week to step on the scale rehydrate back up go and fucking rest and do the thing i apologize for cursing no no Um, you can curse we curse here it's all right oh well (laughs) (laughs) You know, so that being said, it was always in my wheelhouse to be focused on the strength, condition, nutrition side. Now, the wrestling team I came up in was terrible. We were a terrible team. I went to a Catholic school. Um, Great humans there. We just didn't have the the grit, let's say. So the only way I could get out of the the poverty-stricken household that I was in, my home was foreclosed on knockdown, turned into a parking lot when I was still in high school, homeless effectively. Um, was through wrestling, through sports. I was a decent academic, you know. I, I always kind of, you know, um, underplayed any sort of intelligence I might have had because I'd rather get, you know, C's and B's and go to work yeah. instead of trying, you know, do all the homework and get A's and A pluses. Yeah. Um, so I went through that whole thing, and I just I was so focused on the nutrition side. And I was so focused on the, the sports performance side. I opened my business in 1993, officially, as a junior in high school. What, what is your business exactly? Well, in that, in that era, I was a, quote, personal trainer because I didn't quite understand what a strength coach was. But I was writing meal plans and strength programs and running clients through full training sessions, as okay. any other PT would be. But I was already a very you know, highly competitive athlete, you know, a high school athlete, but I was training with a lot of the college guys at, at that stage and traveling the country to train with some of the bigger teams, um, like, like Dan Gable at the you know, University of Iowa and the Brands yeah. Brothers. And so I was out there in that world being influenced by that world and that level. Yeah. I remember, you know, 94, the biggest client I had was the head, was the bank teller at the local branch. Now, back in those days, everybody would go to the bank. Yeah. It wasn't online banking. 
and, and, and this young lady, you know, she was in her, in her 60s at that point. She spoke with everybody in town. So she started working with me and slowly she lost 5, 10, 20, yeah. 30 plus pounds. And everyone would walk in and say, oh my God, you look amazing. What are you doing? And she'd yeah. be, you know, giving them my little business card. That's kind of my business blew up. I got some traction. Yeah. But anyway, that's a little bit of background. Um, move forward. I worked in the finance markets and in real estate um, finance, you know, um, property tax valuation, things like that, which was good cash, but I didn't enjoy it. I do have a strong mathematical and science background, I think, as, as evidenced by that career that I had. Yeah. But during that time, I was taking a two-hour train ride to New York City to work with Henzo Gracie. This is in the late 90s. Team Henzo Gracie, one of the you know, pioneers in mixed martial arts. Yeah. Was and I was working with him and a lot of his athletes before the sport of MMA really blew up. My name started to grow. I started working with more of the athletes that were competitive. Um, Randy Couture, Team Quest in Portland, Oregon. I met up with them at one point. They invited me out. And in a short period of time, they invited me in 2004, the head strength coach position of the number one fight team in the world. So yeah. whether it's the New York Yankees or the LA Lakers or whatever the, the, the New England Patriots, the big team is, they were the number one fight team in the world. And in 2004, they hired me as the head strength coach. I, I quit that job that I had in, in real estate um, finance. You know, I, I took a, a massive pay cut, married my girl, drove across the country. And that's what I started yeah. doing in 04 um, through 09. And then I built up the who, brand. Go ahead. So, sorry to interrupt you. Who were some of the who are some of the big name fighters that you work with? So from there, it was Randy Couture was just about to fight Tito Ortiz for the UFC light heavyweight world title to which Randy won convincingly. Dan Henderson was holding the pride, I believe, welterweight title at that point. Matt yeah. Lindland was considered the number one middleweight in the world. This was just before Evan Tanner won the UFC um, middleweight world title. Evan is yeah. now deceased. Chael yeah. Sonnen, we all know Chael. Chael's a very close friend of mine, one of my long-term yeah. athletes. He was just coming up. Yeah. He was a very new pro, just coming up, making his bones in the sport. Ed Herman went on to, um, you know, compete in the finals of Ultimate Fighter Three. Chris, whatever, Lieber. whatever happened to Ed Herman? I didn't see him fight too much. He's he got a few injuries. Oh, um, okay, few injuries, but he's coming back. He just signed a new four fight deal with the UFC, so oh, okay. he's coming back at a bigger contract, and he's okay. got. He, you know, he came off. He's coming off a big win. Also, he had a little bit of a rough slide trading wins yeah. and losses. Yeah. Um, but he's coming back, you know, a little older, a little more mature, you know, and us kind of, you know, slightly older guys, we understand yeah. perspective. So I think Eddie's going to make another little yeah. run, hopefully put a, a few big paychecks in, 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 in his bank account. That's cool. Anybody else, any other big names that you work with? Uh, well, you know, that was the team quest day. So I've, I've since gone on to work with athletes like Ronda Rousey. Most of the world knows okay. Ronda. I was yep. with Ronda during her entire UFC career. We won multiple, many world titles together. Um, okay. Vitor Belfort, the phenom from Brazil, multiple-time world champion. Quentin Rampage-Jackson, multiple-time world champion. I've worked with close to 300 UFC fighters, many of yep. which were world champions. We work with Coleman Scott. Coleman Scott won the bronze medal for the United States in freestyle wrestling in 2012 in England. Galen Rupp won the bronze in the marathon for the United States in 2016. So it's needless to say you've worked with countless professional athletes. Professional athletes in all sports. You know, How, I NFL, NBA, all that stuff too. Are you still working with UFC fighters now? I do, but much less than I did years ago because as an entrepreneur, there's an ROI to the time. And I kind of, I created respectfully and humbly, I, I created this industry of, of a weight management coach inside. I think you the did too. I appreciate I th- I, it. No, because I, I, I was going to say before – 
you know, if you, if you looked at MMA five years ago, cause I follow MMA, I'm not like a, okay. an expert or anything, but I love watching UFC and MMA and whatever. So if you look at the MMA fighters, like five or 10 years ago, they had no idea how to cut weight or how to eat properly. Like nobody had a, had a, there wasn't a lot of fighters that had a nutritionist or anything like that coming around with now, when you see the fighters and you watch these embedded videos, everybody's got a coach, everybody's got somebody cooking their food. Everybody's got a nutritionist with them telling them what to eat. Yeah. So you were kind of the pioneer of that, I guess. I, I was, I was the first one to do it at that high level to do it consistently and bring in protocols to the sport. So it wasn't just going down to the hotel, you know, restaurant, the Olive Garden, yeah. the hotel lobby and, and getting grilled chicken rest. Yeah. I'm sh- science to it. I'm shocked though, that I've still, I've talked to like Brian Ortega, for example, sure. um, they don't, he, I don't want to single him out. I just, that's the only UFC fighter I've talked to recently, but, or at all really, but he didn't seem to know a ton about supplementation or diet or anything. It's kind of like these guys are just naturals at what they do. Yeah. And um, it's shocking to me that people that compete at such a high level and they have to cut weight and have to make weight classes and things like that. Don't understand nutrition a little bit more so. So I agree. And that's a detriment to the athlete and to the sport that they don't have that greater understanding. I approach nutrition the same way a mixed martial artist approaches the arts. It should be very much the same way. It's an evolution, as you know. What worked a year or three years ago might not work today, but the principle still does. The principles are sound. So it's the individual application. It's, It's, man, you know, you see great boxers who they learn their jab day one. They're in the gym today, 20, 30 years later, still working on that same jab. Nutrition's the same thing. There's a refinement to it. Guys yeah. like, like Ortega, who's, you know, I think is, is at the top of the game athletically, and not to single Brian out because he's one of hundreds yeah. of athletes in the UFC. Yeah. They don't understand it. They don't get it. And, and they very much, they lean on the bros. And yeah. the bros in weight cutting are dangerous because they just, they dehydrate the athletes. They, they malnourish the athletes. And then they make them suffer inside saunas or scalding hot bathtubs. So you've that, never, so you, you don't, you don't like those aren't your systems like you don't weight cut that way no absolutely not that comes from my years i remember as a high school wrestler our coach would put us in plastics full sweats um hoodies hat hats on gloves or our socks up over our sweatpants put us all in the sauna and we were so tight for we were so tight in this sauna that dudes would literally they would pass out and we were packed in so tight you wouldn't fall to the floor you pass out standing up and then you snap back too. And everybody would be laughing at you maybe or, or pretty nervous. And the coaches would kind of, you know, either lock us in and they'd be leaning on it. They'd have their chair on the door. That's the way you cut weight. I mean, this is 13, 14, 15 years old. Sounds, I'm traumatized. You know, Stop. that sounds medieval, right? It's, it's like, a, like somebody could have died doing that shit. Uh, yeah. And you know, dudes have died through the years yeah. with that, those type of practices. And what I did when I got to the top level, I was shocked at what Team Quest was doing. It was very archaic, though they were the number one team. I yeah. really helped revolutionize their system. Then my, then my reputation grew, and I became very in-demand as an um, on-site consultant for a lot of athletes. And I, I changed everything. So never have I had an athlete in the, in the sauna. We, we, we cut weight yeah. through a healthy method. So why is your system better? What is your system for? If I want to drop 10 pounds by tomorrow, what do I do? 
I would just have you increase your water intake. You take a nice warm bath tonight, cold shower. You'll probably wake up on maybe throwing some dandelion root vitamin C, flush the gut. You should be good to go. I mean, you right now, shit, we could get you to lose 10 pounds in about an hour and a half, two hours if you had to. <laughs> you know, that, that'd be easy. We, but, should you know, do that, we should do that experiment and videotape it. I bet you people, I don't know how I could lose 10 pounds in, in an hour. I, it sounds like without well, doing without doing the sauna or any well, of that. Really, I'll give you something we, we call it the Dolce step method. And what this is, because remember, it's not just, I say it's, you know, the, the chicken and the broccoli, that's the least of it. You yeah. have to manage the psychology and the emotional oh, yeah. standpoint of the individual, of the athlete. So now yeah. the body's working with you. And I say, when I work with an athlete, I, I build this bubble of positivity around the athlete to the best of my ability. We push away all external stresses, you know, with the, the, the media, the communication, the PR agents. They call me typically during fight week. They don't call yeah. the manager the agents to the best of my ability to control that because I act as a funnel. Everything with the athlete, it's good. Yeah. You don't even worry about it. What do you want to watch? What do you want to do? Where do you want to go? What do you want? I'll get that. I'll do that. Don't worry. Lay down. Relax. You just focus on performing. But I don't want you to think about the fight because the fight's going to happen anyway. We're well-trained. Let's go see a movie. Like, okay. you, you know, that, that's the mentality. But we have what we call the Dolce Step Method. We get into a hot tub. And this works best. You, your buddies, whoever you really enjoy and you're going to laugh with. Yeah. I'll get you into the tub. And what we'll do is you'll go down up to your neck or so. Five minutes. First five minutes up to your neck. Next five minutes up to your chest. Next five minutes to the belly button. Next five minutes hamstring. Next five minutes, I'm going to throw you into a cold plunge. Okay. totally freeze you yeah. back down. Yeah. What do you want to do now? You want to get back into that tub. A guy your size, you're probably going to lose maybe you know two to four pounds in that yeah. first 20-minute rotation. Yeah. Within an hour, you're going to be knocking on the door of six to 10 pounds based okay. upon body mass. Okay, wait a minute. This is interesting. So I have a hot tub at my house. Yep. And I do this for therapy reasons. I'll, take, I'll sit in the hot tub, and then I'll do that for 15 minutes, and then I'll jump in a pool. Yep. The pool is usually cold. Or I'll jump in a cold shower. Yep. In the morning, I'm a lot tighter. Is that did I just drop two to four pounds? <laughs> Is you that what's happening? You absolutely did. And and yeah. you know, intuitively, you're a high-level athlete. Intuitively, you're gravitating towards the things that naturally work. So what you're doing, you're you're squeezing out the extra subcutaneous water in many ways through that yeah. sweat. If okay. we're not trying to cut weight, I'm gonna have you hydrating while you're sweating. Now we're purifying the system, but you're becoming much more efficient at perspiration at allowing those pores to open maximally and release this water you're also becoming more relaxed during the process i tell the athletes man i want you to turn down the lights light some candles put on some smooth jazz like yeah. whatever you're into like you're laying on the beach with your girl you don't have a worry in the world that's the way the weight cut should be i now, wonder I, i'm sorry i'm sorry to interrupt you this is extremely interesting to me because one of the main issues in bodybuilding, I don't know how many bodybuilders you've trained or if you've even coached any all the way to a show or anything, but one of the main issues is guys get in really, really, really good shape like a week out from the show. Yep. And then that last week, the pressure builds and they're not in a good state of mind like you're talking. And I'm one of these people. Yeah. You get kind of stressed every day the show gets closer, you get more stressed, you get more like the pressure starts to build and build and build. And the climax is Saturday morning when you, you're getting on stage. Yeah. And I always thought to myself, because I do this hot tub, cold shower method all through my prep, because it feels good therapy-wise. Yeah, absolutely. And I always thought to myself, I wonder if I did it the Friday night before a show, how I would look Saturday morning. But instead, we don't. We take, like, you know, I'll take, like, a half a diazide or, like, a, some type of mild diuretic to get rid of the water. 
and that's really what happens. And you wake up, sometimes you nail it perfectly. And sometimes maybe your cortisol is too high. Maybe your stress is too much. Maybe whatever the reason you're not as dry as you should be. But when I'm leading up to the show, every time I do the hot tub cold shower method, I wake up in the morning really tight. Tighter. Absolutely. I'm, I'm just wondering, I'm like, I wonder if that's a method the bodybuilder should be using or like, is it translate? You know what I mean? I would want every time we do that, I do that. My wife does that. I mean, we work with more like um, never a bodybuilder all the way through the show because I don't have the expertise on yeah. the sports supplement side. Yeah. You know, and, and I'm very clear about that. I can work with the nutrition all the way through, but the sports supplement side, I'm not the guy. And usually they want to go with the guy that has that. And that that's fine. Uh, well, just to, just to, before you finish, a lot of us don't. A lot of us will have a coach for that and a coach for the other thing, or a lot of us okay. will have a, will have a coach for nutrition and we'll do the other thing. Our, like we'll do the supplement side, the gear side ourselves. Okay. So it's not always like a one cookie cutter coach. Okay. So anyway, sorry to finish your point. I, don't, yeah. I didn't want to interrupt. Yeah, no, that, that's interesting. So maybe I should yeah. be a little bit more, you know, open and accepting to yeah. the guys and gals that come through. I think our, our priority, and I'll just take a quick aside. My priority is, is number one health. Number two is performance. And that goes to my own personal story I'll, I'll touch on. I mentioned in, in our emails back and forth. Longevity is always the key. Long term. If it makes long term, it makes sense short term. That's, that's always the methodology that we use. So we think, how can this athlete become healthier as a result of this process? Now, I deal with athletes who are getting baseball bats swung at their fucking skulls for 25 minutes, figuratively speaking, yeah. right? Very unhealthy sport. So how can we mitigate the damage that they will absorb during this process? So that's what we're thinking as we build out these camps. But with the, the hot tub cold plunge, what you're doing, you're allowing the body to sweat naturally in a, a stress-less state there's no stress when you're just relaxing right anytime you're introducing certain compounds the stress level is going to go up the body is going to have a a response to that a biochemical response a physiological response to which everyone's different and you're different today than you were yesterday or tomorrow so as it hits you today it might have a different response with this this hot tub method this hot bath method that we do we're going to lose weight. And now if we, let's say we've cut off water, which we'll do about 12 hours or so before we go to bed. Okay. That So we'll, okay. we'll cut that water down. Usually we hit the water hard. So let's say we weigh in Friday morning at 9am. What yep. I'm going to have my athlete do is drink half a gallon to a full gallon between 9am and noon of the day before. Yeah. Flood their stomach. We're going to do a soft cut middle of the day, probably somewhere between around two o'clock or so, where we're just going to go and sit in the hot tub for 30, 45 minutes. We're just going to get that good spill. Yeah. They're going to be on the toilet. They're going to be pissing every 45 minutes because we've been flooding their body yeah. with, you know, a gallon and a half to two gallons for the three days prior, right? So the body sure. is just going to keep pushing. Then we're going to figure out after that first tub session, what's the real weight? Where are we sitting right now? Yeah. From there, we're going to probably dump in maybe a, a double shot of espresso once or twice during that period of time. What does that do? Okay. Um, it has a mild diuretic effect, the espresso. Oh, okay. okay, the coffee, does, yeah. So, yeah. Caffeine. It yeah. has a great laxative effect. So if there's anything left, kind of impacted food matter matters. So I don't want my athlete to step on the scale with a single ounce of food matter. That means we have to dehydrate one extra ounce. Again, I'm protecting long-term. Less dehydration, the better. I'd rather them be completely empty for, for you know 12 to 24 hours of food matter instead of taking that water away because de- depriving them of that water is much more dangerous than depriving them of a, a handful of blueberries or four ounces of a chicken for a of few course. extra hours. Right. So they're empty when they step on the scale. That matters. 
put them into the tub, you know, now they're not sipping and that water continues to jump out of their body, right? They're just spilling water. We'll stay in 30 to 45 minute max, just completely relaxed. From there, ice cold plunge or cold shower to the point of the shivers. This has an anti-inflammatory effect on the total body. So it's yeah. very restorative. But at the same time, with no new water coming in and this anti-inflammatory response, this releases and oh, removes. Oh, that's why. That water, right? That's why. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. So now go to bed and all that blood, it pulls back to their core. Now their body's processing, filtering that blood, pushing nice, clean, fresh blood essentially back through their system, making them much healthier, much happier, much more capable of kind of performing and dealing with the rigors of the next day to come. So someone like you or a competitor who wakes up and our athletes, same thing. They wake up, they have to step on the scale way in, and then we can start to rehydrate from there. Now you guys are going to carb load a little bit. And I know there's tricks and things like that. And everyone has their own protocol, which it's crazy. You talk to, yeah. you know, three different athletes, you're going to get three completely. No, contrary it's totally, yeah, it's totally true. There's every coach has their own method. Some people like to cut water. Some coaches will cut water like Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, they'll cut a couple liters each day. Not yeah. to, not, I don't mean totally cut. So don't, okay, don't okay, get me wrong. Okay. They'll go That's like, true. they'll go like, uh, Wednesdays, 12 liters. Um, Thursday would be eight liters, Friday is four liters, and then we're going to cut it at like three o'clock. Okay. And then some coaches will drink as much water as they can all the way till Friday at noon, and then they'll just chop it. And then, okay. so there's a bunch of different methods. And then there's a bunch of different methods of how people carb load. Some people load slowly from the Monday all the way to the Saturday. Yep. Some people wait till Thursday and then smash like six or 700 grams of carbs, you know, Wednesday and Thursday, and then lower the carbs on Friday. There's just a million different methods. Sure. A lot, of, a lot of it depends on the athlete. A lot of it depends on where their body is and how they look. So, yeah, you're never going to get one system of how to do it, right? And even the water cutting, like I had a coach. I've had four different coaches at the very highest levels. Yeah. Every single one did it differently. One coach I had used no diuretics. One coach I had used extreme diuretics. Yeah. So, like, you know, it's different all, all across the board. Did you see a big difference in your conditioning without diuretics and with diuretics? Did you have equal conditioning? Uh, I had equal conditioning. Okay. They were both actually some of my, my best looks on stage came in all three different phases. I had one coach who used extreme methods and I looked great, but it wasn't as safe a method. Like I don't mean health wise. I mean, one show we would nail it. One show we wouldn't. Like yep. some stuff, you couldn't, you couldn't gauge how you're going to look. Then one coach I had was very safe with a mild diuretic. That was a pretty good look. And then I had one coach who would get me ready early and we wouldn't use any diuretics. Okay. All three looks were, were some of my favorite looks, but the one where we used no diuretics and we were ready early, I probably felt the best. Okay. I felt like I just felt good the day of the show. I felt like lots of energy, not like dead. I could still like lift weights all the way. I was doing two a days. Wow. Yeah. Like I was training twice a day, uh, all the way up to the show. So, um, yeah, different methods work in the way you feel, but you can always nail the look, uh, using so many different methods. Also, it just depends who you're working with. Gotcha. And it's kind of like that always reverts to, you know, rule number one, do no harm. So yeah. the, the least dangerous method is likely the best method because we're yeah. thinking long-term, right? Because right. I would say with all my, with Rondo, whoever my athlete is, I want them to be around at 120 years old. Yeah. 
this is where I get a little, you know, and it sounds like you're nodding your head, so you're on it. Medical yeah. science is at the point now where, where humans being born today should be able to live to 120 or further simply because medical science had advanced to such a level. The problem is we fuck it up. Yeah. We typically fuck it up between our 20s and our 40s, somewhere in that zone, our 30s and our 50s. We fuck it up, and then we bring about the onset of some sort of genetic deficiency, some sort of hereditary issue kind of comes in. We, we flip those switches up because of our, our poor lifestyle habits or what have you, environment, okay. toxins and stressors and things like that, and we cultivate this unhealthy environment just through self-abuse. Yeah. You know? And I'm, that's kind of – go ahead. Sorry. I, I just – I want to transition because – I agree with what you're saying, um, but we're talking about bodybuilding and, and we'll talk about fighting as well because those are kind of the two areas we're discussing. I don't think fighters, well, I don't know how fighters live, but I don't think bodybuilders are doing any more harm than the average person that goes out and gets completely annihilated every weekend, you know, drinking a, a 40 of vodka or sure. you know, doing lines of Coke or like whatever they're doing. If people are fucking it up between 20 and 40, I don't think bodybuilders doing more damage than the average party goer is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. I could be wrong. I, I could be wrong, but I mean, the, I way would, the, the way the average person lives, like the way the average college student lives between 20 and 30, is it really better than a bodybuilder who does nothing wrong, but he's taking steroids? And I would ask how many bodybuilders are not also engaging in the recreational party drugs and the yeah. party lifestyle on top of the sports supplement and the, the excesses that are necessary to compete at that level. So that would kind of be my only thing. And Lord knows I've worked with some athletes and I've turned down work with athletes because they live that lifestyle and we're just not aligned. Yeah. I, I won't like some athletes if they're, they're ready to make a change. I speak with their coach. I speak with their management. I speak with their spouse, significant other, their family. I'll go and I'll, I'll breathe their air for one to three days before yeah. I, at my own cost, before yeah. I even sign on that line to see if we're aligned. Now I've worked mm -hmm. with athletes that had terrible reputations and I was able to get in and have a positive influence over. Yeah. And they, their careers have been, you know, amazing as a result. Certain athletes have thrown a shit ton of money at me to jump in and just to try and keep this fucking thing on the road. Yeah. And it's nothing that I will do. So to kind of answer your question, I don't disagree that we all, I mean, there's accountants right now that are running around blowing lines of Coke and snorting Ritalin and, you know, yeah. self-abuse through alcohol and, and, you know, sexual issues, all this other stuff, right? Just living that fucking stressful lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Well, those motherfuckers need to listen up too. Yeah. You know, but I think um, and I think my, my point was to, you know, maybe touch on, on the video. My point was guys like us at, or individuals who have some form of, of some platform that we should be and everyone can do what they want to do. But in my opinion, it's it's imperative for us to start speaking more honestly and more openly about the dangers, about the downside and possibly presenting alternate looks to how this can be done in a much more healthy fashion. So that's kind of, you know, the, the four yeah. pound burger, I was busting your, your chops about yeah. that. Um, well, well, let's that's get in, what I was pushing towards. But let's get into that a bit. So, so we both agree that, okay, now as far as the one comment you made about bodybuilders and what they do on the, on the side, I don't, I would never agree with any bodybuilder who's like, yeah, I'm going to take all these steroids. Yeah. But I also go out on the weekend and I get fucking blasted and I do, all this up recreational drugs and all this other shit. Sure. Cause now you're, you're, you're having a double impact on your body. That's not going to last. Yeah. So most of the bodybuilders I know, they might smoke a little weed. 
most of them don't drink that much. If they do, it's like a socially, like a glass of wine with a, with dinner here and there, that kind of thing. Yeah. So I think most of us at, at this level, anyway, at the pro level are pretty responsible. And we're not out getting, we're not adding uh, one thing to the other. You know what I mean? We're like, we know what we're doing isn't great. So we're like, let's try and mitigate any other issues that are going to come along by focusing on all the other healthy shit we can do to make sure this doesn't, we don't compound this problem. Yeah. Okay. So that's first. The second thing about the burger, my, the way I see myself is not a role model. It's like, I'm bringing you the truth. And, and you said that in, in your statement just now is that it's important that we're real with people. Yeah. And I'm not here to tell people to live a perfect life. I'm here to say, this is what the bodybuilding lifestyle looks like for real. Behind the magazines, behind the bullshit, behind all the pretty pictures you see in the shredded physiques, this is what it is. This is the stuff we take. This is how much we take. This is, and I did it because there was a lot of people out there telling people to take way more than they should be. Yeah. Well, well, if adds 300 pounds, he must be doing this. Three times and, what everyone's doing, yeah. Yeah, and none of the bodybuilders are speaking up. And rightfully so. It's not something we'd like to discuss. But I thought with 20 years in the game, at the level I'm at, I can speak up a bit. And that was the role model part of me saying, hey, I need to tell some of these younger guys, it doesn't have to be this level. It can be this level and you can still achieve your goals. So the burger is just part of my life. Like you're talking about my blood pressure issues. And I see a lot of people don't even talk about that shit. I, yep. tell people, I, tell, I respect that and I said that. Yeah, and I tell people, go get your blood work done three or four times a year. And then I released the blood pressure thing. And I was happy I did because I got tons of DMs after that at, from guys saying, holy shit, I didn't know I had to check this. Mine's this high and that high and whatever. And a whole bunch of people obviously just learned a fact that they didn't know that their blood pressure is a main contributor to dying. Yeah. Now, the one thing you said in your video was he's got high blood pressure and he's eating a four-pound burger. What you don't know is the blood pressure video and the burger, even though they came out within a week of each other, I had shot the burger video way further past when my blood pressure first came out. Gotcha. So like I, I had already been on an eight week protocol of reducing my drugs and increasing supplements that will lower my blood pressure. And then actually even got on blood pressure medication about three weeks before that. So my blood pressure has been like 110 over 60 for the last, you know, four or five weeks. Okay. So when I did the burger thing, it wasn't like, oh, my blood pressure is 180. I'm going to go fucking eat a four pound burger. I'm not that dumb. <laughs> you know what I mean? so, and just a question. When you, it, you had already previously been aware of the blood pressure, you yeah. got it under control and then you shot the burger video or you did the burger video before you were even aware of the blood pressure? No, after I got the blood pressure under control. The, blood pressure, the blood pressure had been under control for two or three weeks. And I said, you know what? And, and then the person that's helping me is very knowledgeable. Uh, his name's Dante Trudell. He's very knowledgeable in the industry. He knows a lot about, he's helped a lot of guys help like recover their blood work and things like that. And uh, he said, look, you can eat. I'm sure he didn't mean eat a four pound burger. But he goes, he goes, you can still have a couple of cheat meals a week. That's not what we're worried about. He's like, your overall weight has to come down. Yeah. He's like, you can't walk around at 290 pounds and get this under control. You got to lower your, your weight, get it under control, and then we can worry about blowing back up later. Yeah. So 
I already dropped like, you know, I'm down to 270. So I've dropped about 20 pounds. Blood pressure is all good and everything. I'm like, okay, I think I can do this now. So I did. And somebody mentioned, well, you did a 20,000 calorie challenge not long before that. That was shot seven months before the burger thing. So I'm not trying to give people the misconception that, look, I shoot other food videos on my channel where I just make like, you know, random bodybuilding food, chicken and rice, whatever, just show people how to prepare it. I tell people all the time, it's a 90-10 thing. 90% of your food's got to be like pretty good shit. And then 10% of your food is going to be enjoyable. The burger thing is not for clicks. The burger thing is just because I'm a meathead. And, Party you know, well. <laughs> people, people throw a challenge at you. You're like, yeah, I could do that. And then we're like, well, why don't we film it? So it's not like we went out, out specifically, oh, let's get some views. Because actually it's not doing as well as my other, two, my other videos anyway. Okay. But it was more just me and a bunch of guys being idiots. And then we decided to film it. Yeah. So anyway, I, I just wanted to kind of explain a little before you, you tell me what the main issue is with it. So, and I, I get that and I, I appreciate that. And I understand from a, a first person perspective, this is you living your life and you're one of the more honest guys out there, which is refreshing because you and I both know a lot of the people running around there, they're, you know, morally corrupt. What they say on, on channel is not what they're doing behind the scenes. Yeah. A lot of the stuff they're selling is things that they would never touch or put into yeah. their body. And yeah. that's, that's just, you know, that's, that's the industry. Why I'm as outspoken as I am really pushing towards the health side is, is here in my business and my practice. And I have a team of registered dietitians who also work for me here. And we deal with regular people, and I call regular people as non-professional athletes, yeah. right? so yeah. non-pros. We deal with them every day, and we see the incidence of health concerns that are rampant amongst the population. So when I see a, a four-pound burger challenge being put out there, I'm like, oh, fuck. All these, like, you know, 18 to 34-year-old dudes who want to be fucking fuad. They want to be 280 pounds and fucking yoked. They're going to be like, oh, fuck. That's what I need to be doing because there's the disconnect. What you say granularly through your video, they're not here in the 90-10. They're just like, well, fuck. Fuad no. eats a four-pound burger. So yeah. I'm going to eat, you know – four pounds of meat a day or what that happened. And it, it creates this culture. And I think my biggest issue was the culture. And I, I threw Palumbo and Mark Bell, you know, into the conversation also. Yeah. And I think I, I would kind of shame on them a little bit more than even you for that video. So uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say, I do show them the 90 though. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. If, if, a, if somebody is a fan of mine, they do see the other videos. Like I'll t like, for example, uh, I went to the grocery store. I did a grocery shopping video. And I picked up those little bottles, you know, those little bottles of Mio or like sugar-free Kool-Aid that you sweeten yeah. your water with. Yeah. I grabbed like 60 of them because I drink them like nonstop. And I was sure. like, when I grabbed them, I said, these probably aren't good for you, but it's my vice. Yeah. So I'm not bullshitting anybody. I'm like, look, I'm not fucking perfect. I know guys in this industry who are like the health guys, yeah. but they drink a ton of fucking alcohol. They might have perfect diets. But then they'll go on the weekend and they'll get smashed. And I'm like, look, if I'm going to have drinks, I'm going to tell you I had drinks. If I'm going to eat a four-pound burger, I'm going to tell you I had a four-pound burger. But I also show the 90% where I'm like, look, this is my tuna. I have a meal that's tuna and potatoes. Yeah. You know, like, uh, so I'm not just showing the sensational stuff. I'm showing everything. And if there happens to be, it's not the healthiest. 
and I think anybody in their right, anybody who has any sense knows that a four pound burger is not healthy, but I'm not eating it, but I'm not eating a four pound burger every day. Sure. You know what I'm the saying? Common sense is not so common anymore, my friend. But wait and a that- second. It's like if you said alcohol, right? If I went out on New Year's Eve and I got annihilated, right? But I didn't drink the rest of the year. Yeah. What would you say? Um, I, me personally, I'd say, man, that was a bad choice. Okay, but is it, is it <laughs> really? But is it? But is it really that bad if I go on New Year's Eve and I get annihilated on the most, you know, the celebrated day of the year? Everybody's drinking. Everybody's and then that's it. I don't drink for the rest of the year. How bad is that? That's not as bad as if you did drink more often, but it's yeah. not as good as if you didn't do it at all. Okay, but I'm not perfect, and I never claim to be perfect. So of course, I understand this. The point I'm trying to make is eating a eating, doing two uh, two food challenges in a year. It's not as bad as all the other shit. You know what I mean? Well, like, if you want the honest truth. I don't think steroids are bad. I don't think these little challenges are bad. What I think is bad is I've been walking around at 300 pounds for, you know, I, I broke 280 at 23 years old. Wow. So I've been over, over 280 other than contest time. When I get down to about 250, yeah. I've been over 280 or over 250 pounds for 20 years. Almost. But wouldn't the the lifestyle, the sports supplements plus the excessive eating, wouldn't they be a contributing factor to the high body weight, which kind of ties into my major point? It's the lifestyle. So living that lifestyle, we could point to the one meal. That's not that bad. We can point yeah. to an Anavar or Prima Bowen or something. Well, you know, that's not so bad. But the totality of the lifestyle, that's where it really starts to get bad. And as body size, and you know, I was 282 pounds in my mid twenties also diagnosed with high blood pressure, sleep apnea. I was hooked to a halter monitor. My fucking doctor got in my face, telling me how stupid I was and kind of gave me that scared straight wake up call in, you know, mid twenties. Um, not, I didn't look like you for sure. I was like at 30% body fat, very much like a power lift. Right. All right. But still I was carrying around that mass. It's a lot of weight. Yeah. Bro, I would, I would, and I was working a suit and tie job. I would, I would have to keep a second shirt in my car, and I would change on lunch because I'd sweat through the first shirt in the first yeah. half of the day, especially yeah. by lunchtime. I eat lunch, I'd be pouring sweat, man. So I, I kind of lived in that skin, and I think why I speak as passionately as I do was because I've, I've actually, I've been there, I felt it, I saw the blood work, I knew what was going on. I have a family history of heart disease, of diabetes on both sides. And I became, you know, acutely aware of the long-term negative health effects if yeah. I were to stay so heavy for so long. And I, I'm, you know, very libertarian in, in my overall views, you know, on the world. So I'm not going to tell humans what to do. Yeah. I'm just going to share my opinion on what I believe to be best practice. Of course, of course. But, and you're, you're, you're like welcome, you said, you're welcome to, yeah. That you know, you're you're walking around, you know, fucking big and heavy and, and yoked and all that. And and you know, I think you and I think you said Dante had said that, hey man, that's it's a contributing factor to what we're now seeing as like blood work is is that's the signal that there's something going on here that needs to be addressed. The blood pressure is as a result of something else. And my point is kind of the global point is it's a result of the lifestyle, the lifestyle of excess, which is necessary to be a high level bodybuilder. And we can point to other sports. I know dudes in NASCAR and they have their whole other level of excess, which is fucking crazy in itself. 
So it's not just I'm not just picking on bodybuilders. No, it's, it's okay. Yeah, no, it's okay. But that's the point. The 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 point that you're going to find extremely uh, shocking for me to say is bodybuilding. As much as I love it, I, I, it's honestly like probably my deepest passion. Yeah, it's not healthy. No, thank you. Okay, so I'm not going to. I'm not sitting. I'm not sitting here going. You don't know what you're talking about, Dolce. Bodybuilding is the greatest sport on earth, and it's healthy as hell. And you're you're wrong. I'm not saying that. I'm telling you, yeah, walking around at 280 pounds, 300 pounds for 20 years is hard on the body. It's not, it's not taking testosterone. If I was 200 pounds and I was taking testosterone or whatever, it'd be fine. My blood work would probably be fine. Yep. But it's taking all the compounds together for long periods of time with no off period, no rest period, no break. You know, some guys don't cycle. They just stay on forever. Yeah. That's, that's one thing. The other thing is eating the amounts of food we have to eat, but it's not bad food necessarily. I mean, it's chicken, rice, whatever, but still it's the amount. Yeah. And then weighing this much. Now, when you can combine all three of those things, now you have a heart attack. Yeah. Now, so this is why I started the channel though, because I know bodybuilding is not healthy because I know some of these practices are going to lead to a bad thing. I'm like, look, use me as an example. My blood pressure was high. This is what I'm doing this is what you need to do once a year, or this is what you need to include in your program to mitigate some of these issues so that 20 years down the road, when you're looking at your blood work, you're not like, holy fuck, I'm going to die. Yeah. So what it is, it's, it's, it's counterintuitive to the average person because you're like, okay, you know, it's not healthy. Why are you doing it? It's because I think I love what I do. And I think if I'm, if I tweak things enough, I can get through it and still be healthy by the end. But it's the same thing in any other sport. I could look at Michael Bisbing and go, you're going to get your head knocked off. What are you fucking doing? Yeah. It's like that in anything, any, any, even a football player. Look, half the guys are walking away with CTE. Like I could live a sterile life and just be like, okay, I'm going to go be perfect and I'm not going to eat anything wrong and I'm not going to drink and I'm not going to have fun. And, but it wouldn't be real. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like everybody, I think, everybody has a vice. Everybody has a thing they gravitate towards that might not be the greatest for them. And in, in some of the sports and there, and I don't necessarily agree with this because I've, I've been, you know, extremely poor and a guy like Bisbing is, is a, is a multimillionaire as a result of his career. He'll never have to work again, nor will his kids if they handle their money correctly. NFL, same thing for the majority of the athletes who are mildly intelligent with what they do. Now you are probably one of, in my opinion, one of the more successful bodybuilders in the lifestyle that you live Mm. while not have been, you know, cashing maybe Phil Heath Heath checks right now. Right. Phil, the number one guy with the 400 checks for years, but the vast majority of those in the sport, they'll probably never sniff $10,000 paydays multiple times per year. And they're going to have to work the full-time job or, you know, hustle. Okay. But wait a minute. That point goes the same way with fighting. Like you're right. You're, you're right. The top 10 or 15 in fighting are going to make enough to never have to work again. Yeah. But every other guy after that is still working a full-time job. And how many, there's 500 fighters on the UFC roster. Yeah, and the majority will make – so right now the, the entry level is 10 and 10. They're guaranteed three fights a year. So they're guaranteed yeah. 30K. 
And that's, you throw in some sponsorship money. If they lose all three fights, they're going to probably come net, you know, top end 40 to 50K. If they win one or two of those fights, now they're knocking on like a sixty to $80,000 a year. Okay. But they're not going to be in the league very long. But they're Most risk- of them are going to get washed out pretty quick. Yeah, but they're risking brain damage for $50,000 a year. You know Absolutely. And, and what I said, I did prep it in the beginning. Yeah. I said, to me, it's not worth the rub. Yeah. But yeah. when you have like a, you know, a guy like Bisbing who's running around, he's yeah. probably worth, you know, in excess of eight figures at this stage in his career. Yeah. Popping out his eye. Is that worth the bill, losing your fucking eyeball? To me, no. I think I'd so. I'd rather be swinging <laughs> the hammer like I did two decades ago. I would, trade, I, mean? I would trade places with Bisbing. I'll take you can, you can have one of my eyes if you give me like. $40 million. <laughs> uh, $40 million. $40 million. Whole nother picture. Okay. 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 Now, well, now, now, what now, is he worth? What is he worth? 10 million? I'd, I'd still take that trade, I think. Okay. <laughs> 10 million, but he lives in California. So it's, yeah, it's not going that far. I would move no. somewhere. I would move somewhere cheaper. Take right? 10 million. <laughs> no, right. but the point is, even, even outside the UFC roster, you have thousands of people that want to be fighters that are never going to make it. Absolutely. So, so my only point is not to shit on fighters. I love watching fighting. I love the fact that they do it. What I'm trying to say is almost every passionate sport has a negative side to it that people aren't looking at. And you're right. Bodybuilders probably do make the least amount of money of all the professional sports. While being sacrificing While, the most, in my opinion. But what am I going to do? I can't fight and I, I can't play. I'm too short for football. So fucking that's all that's left. <laughs> no, it's uh, it, you know what? It's not, I think for a lot of bodybuilders, it, for some bodybuilders, it's like a dream from when they were like 14. I agree. For me, it was something I fell into. And it just, you know, sometimes you fall in love with something and you just, that's it. That's all. It's not for the paycheck. Like, I know I could be making more money doing something else. Yeah. Because I had a different job and I was doing sales and I was successful and I was doing okay. And it's just something you fall in love with. And then you just, you know, now, so now I'm like, okay, I know I'm in love with this thing. How can I make sure it doesn't kill me? Yeah. And with that, that's actually, that's really interesting. And I, I respect that, that you're on that path and every man walks their own journey. So you have the awareness. And that's one of the things that I did mention is many in the bodybuilding world, they, they really turn a blind eye to the damage, to the very real negative outcomes inside the sport through the lifestyle and then what makes me even you know, more irritated is they brush off when we do see a Dallas McCarver or a Rich Piana. They brush that off as to just, well, he had a genetic issue. But the genetic Sucks. issue is likely manifested as a result of the lifestyle of abuse. You know, I, yeah, I think yeah. all science would, would weigh very heavily to support that. Yeah. And that gets pushed away, which makes the young kids, you know, young kids to me are the 25 to 35 yeah. year olds, 18 to 30, right? Those are the young yeah. kids. Yeah. They look at that and they're like, well, shit, I, I, can, I can take, you know, two grams of tea a day and, you know, 100 megs of, of Trent a day because yeah. Dallas or whoever might have. I don't know what Dallas yeah, did. Yeah, 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 yeah. But they want to be that too. So they're yeah. willing to go to the excess yeah. thinking, well, I don't have a, a lower ventricle issue, so I'm, I'm going to be fine. Yeah. So that's, again, I think, again, why I spoke the way that I did and, yeah. and will speak the way that I do yeah. to bring a counterpoint and awareness to like, no, motherfuckers, we're all, we all have genetic deficiencies. But we I don't have time bombs ticking inside of us. Yeah. I don't think there's anything wrong with you speaking out about it. I think it's good. I think the more people that hear you speak about it, even, even the burger thing. Yeah. I don't, I don't think you're wrong. Let's get that clear. I don't think eating a four pound burger is healthy. <laughs> okay. I just don't think I just don't think if I look at my, that you finished it. 
<laughs> I just don't think if you look at my blood work after 20 years, you're like, well, he had a four pound burger. Like, no, there's like a million other things contributing to this thing. Of course. Of course. And the burger is probably the, the least of my worries. And, and I think that's all I'm saying, but I think it's good to tell people that. And I think as far as the Dallas thing goes, I think some people like to put their head in the sand and they, and they just want to look, I can say people think these things, two things are mutually exclusive. Like, well, if you say that it's because of bodybuilding, that means you can't live, you can't be a bodybuilder. And I'm like, no, no, I can say that. I can say Dallas probably accelerated whatever genetic issue he had because of, because of living, like he used to walk around at 330 pounds. And this is a guy that was like 8% body fat. Fuck man. And so he was a kid still. Yeah. He was still like, I think he was in his late twenties or early thirties. I don't know. But the point is he's walking around at 330 pounds lean. Yeah. Like that's not 300 pounds. If you're 300 pounds fat, you'd be better off. Sure. So for me, it's not, it's not the steroids may have been a contributing factor, but to me, when I look at it, I think to myself, he had a genetic issue. The size he was carrying, the muscle his body had to pump blood to was probably the main factor. And that's all a result of bodybuilding. And I can, I can say that and still say, I love bodybuilding. Yeah, of course. Which sounds crazy, but. Um, we all love that crazy bitch, don't we? Uh, <laughs> it's right. just, well, I think I can tame her. That's why. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> so, so that's the thing, right? So listen, there's always going to be people that, people that are going to take things to extremes. Yeah. I've been guilty of that, but I try and kind of do it in peaks and valleys, right? Yeah. It's like if you're going to do extreme this all the way and just keep going extreme, you're going to end up somewhere you don't want to be. Yeah. So I'm kind of like peak, valley, peak, valley, and then try and stay healthy that way. Now, in, in a perfect world, to, to the young guys out there and gals listening, and they're getting into the sport, and they, they, they did their high school weight training, they put on some size, they look better than most of their friends, and they say, you know what, I want to make a run at bodybuilding. What advice would you give that person? Like, do they put their head down? Do they go fucking full board? Do they, do they go to the open class? And I'm a fan of the open class. I appreciate yeah. the other class. And I'm a fan, probably like you're a fan of MMA. Yeah. Um, I'm a big fan of the, the sport of bodybuilding and the yeah. app. I have such great respect truly for what yeah. goes into it. And I really yeah. enjoy it. But at the same time, just like MMA, when I see undertrained or, or, or poorly coached fighters, my heart hurts. I'm like, Oh, this poor yeah. kid is, taking years off his life and his career by making bonehead decisions, right? Yeah. So what advice, and you probably have done maybe on your channel before, what advice do you give that, let's say, 24-year-old right now that wants to fucking make a run at it? How do they manage the, the supplement use, the sports supplement use, and the excessive calories yeah. to really make a push and see if they have what it takes? Um, well, first of all, you have to accept risk, right? Okay. You have to you have to accept risk because yeah. if you want to be an open bodybuilder, you're going to accept the fact that you know you could have fertility issues, you could have blood pressure issues, you could have kidney issues, you could have uh, n n diabetic issues, thyroid issues. All these things are possible. So the first thing you have to do is admit to yourself, okay, I'm entering it. Like that's what I did when I started. I'm like, okay, there's a lot of fucking things that could happen. Am I willing to go this way? So you accepted like I could end up needing a transplant, you know, knock on wood, of course not. I could end up as a type one, type two diabetic 
as a, I mean, kind of yeah. a yeah. loop, but it could happen. It's, it's yeah. a real legitimate possibility. Oh, I did. But the reason, but the good thing about accepting it or thinking about it from the very beginning is you always stay on top of it. Gotcha. So if you don't, if you don't look at it that, if you don't look at it that way, then you just fucking ignore things and you keep going and keep going and keep going until one day your doctor's like, uh, your fucking kidneys are failing and now you're on dialysis. Yeah. So I think the only way is the first thing I would tell somebody is first of all, accept the risks. Second of all, find a credible coach. Some, for some reason in bodybuilding more than any other sport, people think, well, having a coach is stupid. Why don't you just do it yourself? I'm like, Tom Brady is the fucking greatest quarterback of all time, and he has a coach. Yeah, he's got three. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Not, not, not the head coach, not Bill Belichick. He's got a quarterback coach yeah. that keeps an eye on him. He probably, yep. has a, he probably has a nutritionist. Yep, absolutely. But for some reason, bodybuilders sometimes, some bodybuilders can be such meatheads that they're like, well, if you have a coach, that means you're stupid or it means you're, you know, you can't figure it out or whatever. I tell people, why fuck around with trial and error? Yeah. Go get a coach that knows what the fuck he's doing. That has a lot of a, a long list of clients that isn't just going to load you full of drugs that has, that cares about you sign on with that guy and learn from the beginning what it's supposed to really be like. And in that it's, you know, bodybuilding like MMA, my, my sport is littered with a bunch of fucking idiots that yeah. try and do what my t- team does. Right. And they yeah. do it very poorly. Yeah. Bodybuilding the same way. How, and you said, find a good coach with a great reputation, a long list of clients. The results are easy to find, right? Yep. How many, what would you say is the percentage of quality coaches to the mass of, of just Insta coaches that are running around? I don't know. It's tough to say. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to say percentage because there's a lot of coaches. Like there's coaches in our sport, you have like tiers, right? Sure. There's like the top four or five coaches that everybody knows that are the greatest coaches that coach all the pros. And then beneath them, there's like this subculture of pros that are actually of coaches that are really, really good. Yeah. But they aren't known yet. Okay. And then you have the bottom base of the biggest chunk of people who've won like one show and they're just regurgitating what their coach told them to do and they don't really know what's going on. Yep. So when I tell people, I'm like, and and the reason those people are successful is because they usually charge the least. So bodybuilders generally don't have a lot of money. So you'll get a kid from a gym who's like, Okay, I bought my stack. I bought my food. I bought my tanning packages. I don't have any money left. Uh, I'll pay this coach fifty bucks. Yeah, and I'm like, that's the fucking most important part. <laughs> I'm like, pay the fucking coach first. Yeah, like, yep. so like, you know, you've got to find the money. You got to do something to find the money to pay the the coach that's going to help you, or else it's all just a waste. Yeah. So, um, yeah, no, there's a lot of coaches that. I don't believe should be coaching, but there are a lot of great coaches. And the good thing about Instagram, the good thing about bodybuilding now versus when I started is you have a lot of people who are putting a lot of good information out there. So it's very easy to spot a bad coach sure. because you can have your coach tell you something and you can watch six other top coaches or top pros and see what they're doing and be like, well, that guy, those guys are all doing something different. Yep. So something's got to be wrong with my coach because he's got this weird thing going on that I've never heard of. Yeah. Um, anyway, so yeah, it's, it's, a, it's just, I think, acceptance of the sport, finding a coach, and then really knowing if you can commit to it. Because it's like any other sport at a high level. You have to give your whole life to it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Bodybuilding so. more so than most sports because you don't have off time 
where okay. fighters and they can take some downtime where you guys are compliant to your meal structure more than a fighter would be. You're compliant yeah. to your training schedule and getting the proper rest and recovery so you can grow and the whole list. You can't go to certain, you can't go to the amusement park, let's say, because you got legs later that day or tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. Fighters can do that stuff even on a hard sparring day. Yeah. You know, so it's a little, it is considerably different. Yeah. Um, blood work. How often do you suggest that the newbies start getting, building the habit of getting their blood work done and really what should they be looking for general? Don't be their doctor, but just in general, do you have any suggestions? Uh, I always tell people a minimum twice a year, okay. right? And some people say, well, should I, should I try it when I'm on or should I try it when I'm off? And I'm like both because mm-hmm. I actually was stupid about this myself uh, until Dante made a post about it saying, you know, you you guys got to check your blood work when you're on. Gotcha. If you're going to die, you're not going to die when you're off. You're going to die when everything's ramped up to its highest peak. Yeah. So I tell people twice a year, once when you're on, once when you're off. And then now I actually believe more like three or four times would be ideal. But uh, when you do go check, I always ask for, obviously they're going to check your blood pressure. And, but on my blood work, I always ask for kidney kidney levels, liver levels, thyroid levels, uh, like my A1C. So I can see if my sugar levels are in, in, in the right area. Um, there is a inflammation score that I can't remember the name, the name of it right now that I always ask for as well. It measures the inflammation of the overall inflammation in your body. And then the last one is, uh, cholesterol, of course. So those just the main the main ones. And then if they see anything, they'll send you for more testing. Like I've, I've gone for an angiogram. You know, my doc, my doctor was like, Oh, your heart doesn't look like it's, you know, let's just check out your heart. I was having some, I actually had a hiatal hernia, which the symptoms of a hiatal hernia are similar. They mimic a heart attack. Sure. So I would get like, really, my heart would beat really fast at certain times. And I'm like, what the fuck? So my doctor's like, let's just send you for an angiogram. So I don't ever get feelings and just ignore them. That's like one, that's one of the main things I tell people, like if there's something going on, there's gotta be a reason you got to go get checked out. And I think that's, you know, the overarching theme of what I'm trying to do is just give people the realities that you have to do these, you have to do these things that aren't the greatest, but you can try and help yourself by staying in contact with your doctor and just checking everything out, you know? Yeah, instead of putting their head in the sand and waiting until something that the signals aren't seen, now they become a big issue. Yeah. And that's maybe, you know, I don't want to keep using Dallas's name, yeah. but had he been a little bit more compliant with his visits to the doctor, maybe that would have been caught a little early on. Maybe if he got more progressive testing because he was such a big man. And yeah. I just say this because there are other big men walking around right now, or maybe not as big, that have very similar health issues that need to be addressed. What we talk about is I talk about getting blood worked on every six to eight weeks, if possible, which is, I mean, that's pretty excessive for a lot of people. I say a minimum of four times a year, six times a year would be even better. Is there anything Uh, in the blood work that I didn't mention that you would tell people to check? No, I would maybe PSA, but that might come through, you know, your, your free, what's PSA, uh, your free testosterone? uh, uh, PSA is for your prostate. Oh, okay. Check your prostate. Just be aware of it. You know, the, the yeah. testosterone you know, may or may not have an effect, but depends upon the genetics, right? You know, some yeah. people are more prone to it or not. But yeah. as guys, you know, they say anyone over 35, I'd say really start at 30. Yeah. To start, you know, maybe even at 25 once a year doesn't cost anything extra. But just yeah. I, I'm big on building baselines. I'm curious. I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I'm curious to ask you, 
how would you how would you help a bodybuilder eliminate or or work through some of the issues like what would your protocol be for a bodybuilder so he could be healthy and still do and still be a bodybuilder so we get full blood panels done i want to see all the blood work i want to see everything that's there so we can identify any real present dangers what is happening right now let's say they fall relatively healthy right let's say they fall relatively in in the healthy range what we're going to do is what we typically do is we focus on a very antioxidant rich diet high micronutrients okay. high phytonutrients and a lot of bodybuilders they don't like that because it's a lot of food matter that gets pushed yeah. through, through the plant-based side you know bodybuilders they throw some green beans into their chicken and they think that they're eating veggies that's oh, that was me for a long time so you know what I'm saying? That's garbage, man. That's fucking garbage. I, I started this day. Listen, I don't need to like this year. I started with the micronutrients. You have to. It only it only took me 19 years. 19, but at least you're there, right? Because you're self-aware. You're being progressive. Had you started, you know, 20 or so years ago, you, it's like saying you didn't start squatting until this year. Yeah. You know why? The, you know why though? I don't think it's because people don't want more volume in their stomach. Cause actually like I found out the vegetables helped me eat my chicken. Like this chicken and rice is gross. Like for sure. when you, when you eat it for 20 years. So I yep. found that the vegetables actually helped me get the meal down. Yep. But I think it, for most guys, it's just preparation. It's doing you gotta, that. Yeah. You got to go to the grocery store more often. You got to like, you know, clean the vegetables and cut them up and all that where really your chicken and rice is already in the fridge and a Tupperware sure. and you just mix them together and you're done. True. And a lot of them get like the meal prep chicken, yeah. pre-cooked chicken and things like that. Yeah. I get it. But, you know, not to be too morbid, but, you know, if, if you're laying there on, on a fucking stretcher at 50 years old, would you have rather done an extra 30 minutes of prep every three days? Yeah. yeah. Wouldn't it have been worth it? You know, because it's really it's, it's 30 minutes. Of, for me, it's 30 minutes of prep on a Sunday, 30 minutes of prep on a Wednesday for us to get all the bulk veggies. And we bake yeah. most of our veggies. Oh, do you? baking baking trays we throw them in the oven while we're cooking you know a pot of quinoa a pot of rice you know we'll do a few pounds of like a ground beef ground turkey you know we'll throw some some salmon in, in the oven then we have all of our bulk meals kind of like the bulk raw not the bulk ingredients yeah. already cooked in the fridge and i'll just scoop whatever i want to make so i don't have like pre-made meals i have pre-made yeah. bulk ingredients i've so never I uh, have that variety i've never so, baked i've never baked my vegetables so you keep uh, longer that way uh, they they I, they, I eat them so quick. I don't know. But like three days, <laughs> like usually it's three days worth. They're fucking delicious. You know, the other, re you know, the other reason why I was going to say, I'm sorry again, I interrupt. I keep interrupting. I apologize, but you keep bringing up different points. I keep thinking about, um, I think a lot, and I, I don't, I keep saying a lot of bodybuilders. I'm saying myself. Okay. Yeah. For me, I'm pretty sure a lot of guys fit into this category too, but I, a lot of guys don't know what each vegetable is for. You know what I mean? Different vitamins have different, different uh, vegetables have different vitamin makeup and different antioxidants. Yes. And it gets complicated when you're like, oh, I got to eat my carrots because of this. And I got to eat my kale because of this. And I got to eat. I stopped even thinking about it. I was just like, you know what? I'm going to have, try and have a different vegetable with each meal. And then I'm like, okay, I don't have to fucking worry about what they're doing. I'm just going to get a full variety. You're, you're, you're smack on. What yeah. we teach is a wide variety. The bigger the yeah. variety, the better, because each, each, ingredient each vegetable has a certain nutrient profile that profile is great for that one day one meal but yeah. it's not great it's like you eat asparagus asparagus is great for you you eat it every meal every fucking day 
you will start to build deficiencies, right? Yeah. That's what a lot of the, a lot of the yeah. bodybuilders do. That's fine. So yeah. what we say is every time I go to the grocery store, I try and buy something different. Yeah. I want to get lots of deep, deep, dark greens. I want to get lots of red, lots of yellows, lots of oranges, lots of purples. What have, what's here, maybe what's fresh, what's local, what's in season that yeah. is only ready, you know, maybe three months out of the year. Well, I'm going to stock up on that motherfucker right now. Maybe it's yeah. the zucchini or the squash at this time of year. So mm-hmm. when you go to your grocery store, and I, a little pro tip, I, I, when I go to my grocery stores, I try and make friends with the produce manager. Oh, I see. I say, hey, bro, like, what's, what's fresh? What just came in? What still has dirt on it? He's yeah, like, yeah. oh, man, you got to come in. You got to take a look at, like, this, you know, <laughs> cucumber. Like, oh, it's fresh. I said, where is this yeah. coming from? Because they yeah. know all that. Yeah. So this way, best practices, I get the absolute best. My fishmonger, my butcher, what just got here? What, was, what did you have to shoot out back? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's what I want, right? So you're, so you're not a Costco guy then? I'm not a Costco guy. I mean, I respect it. You know, I, I respect it. I've been there. That's my favorite but, place, man. Man, for like, you know, your, for like maybe your beans and your rice and your oats and your oils. Yeah. yeah. But when it comes to food, nothing beats fresh and what I say wild. When I say organic, I don't care about the USDA yeah, yeah. logo. Organic in the true definition of the term, which was just naturally raised on this planet, unmolested by man's greedy little fingers. Yeah. Yeah. But fresh food. You know, raw food has higher nutrient density per calorie than any other food. Therefore, we're getting more nutrition per calorie than any other ingredient you could eat. So when we get the frozen fish, when we get the frozen chicken, in time, the nutrient profile starts to degrade. The fresher I can get that, the better, the more nutritious, the better my performance, the higher the anti, the micro, the phytos, the longer I live. And when we talk about the micronutrients, the phytonutrients, what we teach here, we do these you know, certification courses, and part of the curriculum is micronutrients are the catalyst for all cellular activity, vastly more important than the macros. The yeah. protein, the carbs, the fats, we do put fiber into the macros because people forget fiber. Yeah. Micros are more important. It's like micros are the nails that hold the lumber of the structure together. Yeah. Without the nails, it doesn't fucking matter what the other materials are, but yeah. most people, they overstep that. So that's really what we push talking about what we would do with your bodybuilder. We would make sure this lifestyle comes into yeah. place. They're compliant with going to their doctor, getting their bloods done, eating this wide variety of healthy foods. And then we can build out the mac because it's easy to build out a macro profile once the micros are locked in place. Yeah. They'll feel better. They'll look better. Typically, their skin is thinner. Their you know, face is, is brighter, higher collagen production, less, you know, they get sick less often, less you know, prone to injuries. Like all that shit comes in just be, by being just a little, 30, 30 minutes more you know, aware, a little 30 yeah. minutes more of work per week yeah. really adds, pays dividends. I think the problem is bodybuilding is such a visual sport that the guy that just ate fucking chicken and rice and steak and potatoes yep. got huge. Like how'd that guy get so huge? Well, he ate fucking a pound of beef every meal and he ate a pound of potatoes with it. And look how huge he got. Yeah. But they don't bodybuilding. It's hard to tell the feeling of how somebody feels in bodybuilding. It's such a visual sport, right? So you look yeah. at, you look at any bodybuilder and you think, Holy fuck, he looks great. I want to do whatever he did. Okay. He ate steak and potatoes, but maybe he feels like shit, even though he looks great. Yep. Most and likely think, he does. Yeah. And I've been there. I've been, I've been, I've been in a place where I'm like, I fucking look awesome right now, but yep. I feel like total shit. And uh, just the last few weeks, I've been doing it. I had a, 
gentleman in, named Chris Tuttle. He's a dietitian, registered dietitian. Okay. And uh, he is really, really big into micronutrients and full balanced diets and all that. Yep. And ever since I had him on the podcast, I've been doing it and I feel fucking amazing. Brother, that's I, awesome. Yeah. I sleep better. Like uh, my energy levels are better. Like everything's better. So yep. it's just hard to convince people because it's such a, well, I'm not in bodybuilding. It's kind of like, what's going to make me huge. That fucking kale is not going to make, they don't think that kale is going to make me huge. Yeah. But they don't realize the, and I, and I'm not saying they, cause I was one of those people don't realize the importance of the micronutrients, especially if you're taking steroids. Cause according to some people, the best way to get rid of the toxins that you get from steroids is with the micronutrients. Yeah. There's so. no downside to a micronutrient rich diet. There's only yeah. upside to overlook. Yeah. That is a disservice to whatever your goals are, adding muscle tissue, getting leaner, living longer, having more energy to perform in the gym to facilitate those goals are, having that micronutrient diet is huge, which is again, I think why you know I, I kind of grab my platform to try and speak on it as much as possible to the point that people get sick of hearing it sometimes, right? Yeah. So the, the biggest criticism against me is, man, Dolce just keeps saying the same shit over and over and over again. You got to eat a micronutrient dense food. You have to train intelligently, consistently. You have to get seven and a half to nine hours of sleep. You have to minimize external stress. Yeah. How many times can I say that same basic shit over and over and over again without getting locked into a, a, a keto, you know, funnel, right? Like all these other fuckers out there, they were selling paleo three years ago. Now they're selling keto. Then they're going to sell a macro program. Carbs are going to come back in the full swing here within yeah. the next 18 to 36 months. All these assholes are going to now be selling some sort of carb program. <laughs> come, you know what I mean? That's yeah. the way these fuckers work. But you know what I want to do is just keep beating the drum on what we know to work. What are best practices for the human species while also performing at world-class levels? Mm-hmm. So we're, we're just treating the human condition here through our philosophy and, and, and principles. We want to make sure we have healthy humans because the healthier the human is, the more you can do whatever you want to do. You want to be a fucking elite bodybuilder if your genetics allow that and you're willing to take some of those risks. The healthier you are, the better you're going to be, the farther you can go. And and hopefully the the more your body can manage whatever downside, just like the fighters, the known risks, we can usually mitigate that to a certain degree through healthier practices. That's what it all comes down to. So the next time I eat a burger, you're not going to shit on me or you're still going to shit on me the next time? <laughs> I'm probably going to shit on you a little bit. I'm probably going to, I'm going to give you respect for, fuck, he ate that fucking full time burger. It's probably still stuck in his colon, but hey, all right. Yeah. You know, and I, I think, you know, what it is, it, it just, it allows this conversation here, which is amazing. And, and you know, what I really respect about you is, is you're, you're open and you're honest. And hopefully in my video, it was very clear that, you know, I'm, I'm complimentary towards it you. Was. you. It was. Thank you. I appreciate that. And it was more of the, the culture. And I think the culture needs to hear like, no, Fuwa did that one time. He's also eating a micronutrient rich diet. He dramatically changed his body weight. He changed his lifestyle because he's a healthier, becoming a healthier individual as a result of this to which he wished he did 20 years ago instead of figuring it out now in his his early forties. If he did it in his early twenties, holy fuck. Yeah. That would be a a game changer. Oh, it's like saving money investing properly it's like fuck if yeah. i knew now at 43 what i knew at 23 yeah. you know if i could have applied that at 23 financially shit life you know, would be different it's you know really what it the is same thing. not to not to keep beating it but you get locked into this mindset as a younger bodybuilder yeah like when i was 25 i could give a f- i still got my blood work checked but i could give a fuck yeah brother i was there like I know. When I, like when i was 29 i had a doctor say to me 
you're going to have a high blood, you're going to have high blood pressure. You should stop. Yep. And I think I cried in his fucking office. He's like, you're going to have to take this pill for the rest of your life. And I didn't know what the, what it meant. Sure. And, uh, I didn't have high blood pressure at the time, but he was warning me. Yep. And I was like, I still ended up turning around and go, fuck that guy. Not fuck that guy. I'm not going to pay attention to my health, but I meant you just get so locked into this mindset of how can I get better? Yeah. And I think if we're, if we're talking about Dallas, I think that's what Dallas was a very ambitious bodybuilder and he knew he could be the best yep. and he knew he had the structure to be a Mr. Olympia yep. and he was chasing that title. And I think that's what a lot of us get, you know, we get into that zone where you're just like, okay, I don't care about this. I don't care about that. I just want to get as to the best I can be. Right. Yep. So I think it's what you're saying is important. And the reason I had you on is not because see some people said to me, well, why are you having him on? He, had, he did a thing like against you. You shouldn't do that. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like this is kind of an important conversation to have because yeah. it's, it's okay to chase things with like passion, but you're not saying don't do it. You're just saying if you add these other things, you can probably help your lifestyle. You have to be aware. And those listening right now, like you said, you have to, number one, you have to accept the risk. This is what you're going to do. You have to accept the risk, but not just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That's fine. Like kind of when you were a kid, when I was a kid, yeah. we knew, we knew the risk of being bigger guys and doing all this bullshit. You knew it. Yeah. You didn't fucking even think about it for half a second. You just brushed it off because you had a goal, right? Yeah. Fuck it. I'm just plowing forward. And that happens when you're younger. So the younger guys listening right now, they're in that, that invincible period. Now, I, I remember being an invincible period in my life thinking that, fuck, I can't be hurt. Yeah. I, I felt like cars would bounce off me. <laughs> Right? Like we go. I've been there. Yeah. You've been there, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's pretty common for guys to think like that. Ladies, I don't know, but guys certainly do. And I was there and I look back now, like, holy shit. Now it's like, I'm not going to jump off a jungle gym. Because I'm like, I might blow up. No. (laughs) (laughs) Right? I didn't fucking warm up and foam roll before this shit. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Crazy. So it's having this mindset now. So I'm, I'm now actively trying to mitigate the risk which allows me to do what I do much longer. I mean, I still wrestle four times a week with college kids. I still get out there and I fucking, I get after yeah. it. Yeah. When I do that, I get my good night of sleep. I foam roll, I massage, I go to the fucking banyas and the cold plunges and I do all the things that I have to do to mitigate, mitigate the risk of, well, fuck, I could blow out my ACL later on this afternoon wrestling. Yeah. You know, you know like, so I'm aware of it, but I accept it. I do everything in my power to minimize the risk of doing something I just deeply love. And I fuck, I hope I can rest until I'm 70, right? I yeah. deeply love that aspect of, of my life. Yeah. Knowing that it's not, I could get, fuck, I got dumped on my head two weeks ago, right? Yeah. yeah. And, you know, yeah. I'm not gonna, and hey, it's a five point throw. Fuck, dude, good for you. You know, shit, yeah, yeah. You, know you go for a ride like that. But at the same time, it's like having conversations like this so people can listen. And when they go back to their house, when they go to the refrigerator, the grocery store, they think about it. Yeah. And they start to make decisions. Maybe they do call the doctor and they say, hey, let, let's get my six-month blood, you know, blood test checked up. Yeah. Let me start doing the things now, yeah. which, God forbid, a guy like Dallas, maybe he could have pushed on through till 35, 45, and he could have been a multi-time Mr. Olympia if he took that one step back to be more aware and more accountable of some of the risks that he was taking. You know, yeah. I, I, again, I'd be very respectful of, of him and, and, you know, his family and all that. But you have to use that as an example of what is possible on the downside, yeah. not just to get as big as Dallas, 
but you also have to think about what happened to him because he was chasing that. Yeah. And that's why I speak like I do, man. I just want people to be healthy, to live long, to share the stories of when they did win the titles and turn pro and won the fights and all that stuff. But I want them to be able to tell their great grand grandkids those stories. I don't want their yeah. grandkids to have to see it on video because grandpa's not around anymore. Yeah, no, I hear you. No, it's an important conversation to have and I'm happy that you came on, man. And um, I know you probably have a lot more knowledge to give. So do you want to come on again, you know, some other time in the near future? We'll talk more diet and nutrition. I'd like to know some of your, uh, your therapeutic strategies, like how to keep muscles healthy and avoid injury. I'm sure you have a ton of that knowledge dealing with fighters. That's what we do every day. I mean, that's really our, our practice is our athletes have to, they have to make weight. So they got to lose 10, 15, 25 pounds, let's say, during training camp. But then they have to go and compete for 25 yeah. minutes at a world-class level. Yeah. And my job, we fight to maintain every ounce, every gram of, of muscle tissue. Yeah. I don't want to give up a single fucking advantage. That's the battle here in, inside yeah. our office with our team. I'd love to come back on and have these conversations with you guys. Too. Yeah, I know. Because you know what? A lot of bodybuilders, especially me because I'm injury prone would yeah. be uh, more than happy to discuss how to keep our bodies healthy and some of the therapy strategies that you have. Absolutely. So I appreciate you coming on, Mike. It's been a great conversation. I think a lot of people are going to get something from it and uh, I look forward to the next one, but I will keep doing my challenges. Just I'll, I'll space them out a bit. So we don't, you know, okay. I, well, give me a text just so I'm prepared. <laughs> I don't want to wake up and fucking give me a heart attack. Goddamn <laughs> I was supposed to, do, <laughs> I was <laughs> supposed to do taco Tuesday next week. And now oh, I'm like, oh, I might not, I might, I might skip it. You, you're gonna you go got, like a, you, you got to me a little bit. You're going to do a vegan taco with like a romaine wrap <laughs> or something like that. That's the taco challenge I want to see Fu and Abia uh, doing. Okay. I'll do that, but I have to do a hundred of them. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. Anyway, look, man, I, had, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, I'll be in touch. We'll do another one soon. Brother, I really appreciate it. Man. I had such a good time. Thank you for yeah. being you and for being so fucking cool. I appreciate you. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate it, brother. All right, bro. Bye. Bye-bye.